0: Welcome once again to Take Fountain. The subject today is Scarface. Uh, my friend and uh, co-host of this program, uh, Tom Mount, was the, what was it called? The president of Universal Worldwide. Is that, that the correct? That is absolutely okay, correct. I'm going to take you back to 1983, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And you're embarking on what will be one of the great gangster movies, if not one of the great movies of all time. But you don't know that at this stage at this stage <laughs> that, that would at be an this understatement, stage yeah. you're doing a remake if i'm is that the right word of the old scarface the old howard hawks Scarf, scarface which was a movie basically about capone wasn't it
1: yeah it was a book by a book in 1929 by a guy named armitage trail and armitage trail had a bestseller adapted from the life of al capone and in 32 uh, howard hawks finished his version a film version of that book Call Scarface, and it was released, and it was a hit.
0: Uh, now, how does this all begin? Because uh, I don't—I wouldn't think anybody really... You know, in 1932, I mean, talkies have only been around a few years. I can't believe th- that there'd be a lot of people clamoring to remake Scarface at this I, I would say none, except
1: yeah. one really important person put this all together, and that person is Al Pacino.
0: So this was really... Be- so many of your stories don't begin with an actor. They begin with a script, a... A producer, you. Yeah. Um, so untru- this is really Pacino's thing.
1: Huh? You left out a drunken night in Van Nuys. <laughs> <you'll> tell, <laughs> yes, right? yeah, okay. a lot of
0: things, a lot of inspiration. Okay, but usually, so it does, usually it's not an actor. An actor comes later in the process. Okay,
1: so here are two intersection of two fortuitous things. One is Howard Hawks makes this movie, but the producer of the movie was Howard Hughes. Mm-hmm. Howard Hughes had not yet bought RKO. He was about to. But he was making movies and distributing through United Artists, which was famously founded by Chaplin and yeah, Pickford, Pickford and Chaplin,
0: And Fairbanks. And That's right. Yeah.
1: So he owned the pictures, Howard Hughes. That means when he started, when he purchased RKO, he threw this picture into the RKO library. So along the way, Universal, an insatiable television machine, right? If nothing else, right? You know. Started scooping up other people's libraries, and we bought a big chunk of the RKO library. We also bought, by the way, all the pre-48 Paramount library, the entire thing. Yeah, and on and on. So we now own Scarface, Al Pacino. In the late sef- last seventy-nine uh, or eighty, watches Scarface on somewhere at the t- no. He told me in the Tiffany Theater, on. Sunset Boulevard, which no longer exists.
0: So he's on Sunset Boulevard. He's going to some sort of oldie show, some sort of right. like a classic revival. film night. Like a revival. And he sees for the first time Scarface from 1932.
1: And thinks it's a great idea. So he calls his manager Marty Bregman, yeah. who you may probably know. I do, him. yeah. And and he says to Marty, I want to make this picture. This is a great picture. Let's do it. I want to do it with Lumet. Remember that Al Pacino and Lumet are... Sidney
0: Lumet, who did, and, did a... Uh, Serpico and Dog Day Afternoon. Yep. And all the, so they already had a relationship. They already had a relationship. Okay.
1: They're friends. They're part of theater in New York. They're part of a lot of things. Right. And Al is a terrific guy, by the way, and easy to work with. And so all that being said, now Lumet comes on board, and he looks at the old picture, and Al had originally envisioned doing this as a period piece, with him playing a Capone-like mobster back in the day. That goes out the window with Lumet, who says, what are you, crazy? You've got the boat criminals being sent to Miami by yeah. the Cuban government. The Marielista movement used that.
0: Yeah. And also, they, you're never going to out-Godfather the Godfather at that that's stage. Right. That's right. So nobody's going to be like, no, if it, if it even smells a little bit like the Godfather, it'll always yeah. be unfavorably compared.
1: And so Sidney said, you're Cuban, you're going to play Cuban, this is the movie. However, Sydney then started trying to make a deal around what was going to happen with the movie with Marty Bregman, and that blew up, as you may remember. Marty Bregman was famously, shall we say, difficult. Mm-hmm. So Sydney's out, but the idea for the movie sticks. Alice committed to playing a Cuban Okay. who comes over part of that whole cocaine cowboy movement in Miami. Right. So now they go to Brian De Palma. Brian De Palma says...
0: Wait, is there a script at this stage? No. No script? There's no script. You're just walking around saying, hey, it's a... Cuba. It's, uh, you know they're, how they're sending all those criminals over from Cuba? He's one of those guys, and he builds an it's
1: empire. It's a little better than that, because Sidney Lumet got a hold of Oliver Stone before he ah, left the picture. And okay. he said, Oliver, not only are you going to write this, here's why it's important. And he showed Oliver the culture clash that could be buried in a gangster movie that would make a really interesting, provocative story Right. Not just a thin gangster picture, not just yeah. a thin action picture, but indeed something about the way our culture was changing, which is very Sydney.
0: Yeah. You know? Right, sure.
1: So now Sydney's out and Paci- and Pacino is approves Brian De Palma. Brian comes in, he works with Oliver. Then we start sending various people, myself included, to Miami. I Oliver and I go down and take a look. Bregman comes down and takes a look. We hang out in Miami with DEA agents and crooks and criminals and corrupt judges and we meet all kinds of insane people, and out of that comes a very rich tapestry. So you tapestry. you
0: wander around meeting people that yeah. might be a part of this journey. Were you a, a Cuban criminal who was an immigrant? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and all kinds and of. What I mean, what like what do you learn? I mean, what? Well, what
1: here's here's the thing we learn. Uh, Oliver and I uh, we meet. A, there's a federal judge who's rumored to be corrupt. So we arranged to have dinner with him in a good restaurant, and in fact, not such a good restaurant in Miami in uh, Shula's, which you will remember when yeah. you were at Don Shula's steak joint. Yeah, sure. And so <laughs> we go to Shula's. <laughs> we go this to Shula's. Yeah, yeah. Okay. With fine. This fucking guy, and <laughs> and he's a federal judge, and I, my dad's a lawyer. I expect judges to be, you know, yeah, sure. probity and upright and S- sense you know, of decorum. Exactly. The way the way I used to feel about the Supreme Court until this one, <laughs> and and so. So I say to the guy, tell us about how you deal with this pressure from criminals. People must try to bribe you and stuff like that. And he says, oh, yeah, they try, but did we just blow it off. It's nothing. And gradually he gets drunker and drunker. And finally he says, I really love hanging out with you guys. love to do this again. So we leave, and Oliver and I look at each other and go, get him back. Yeah. So we'll get him back. And this time he starts drinking a lot earlier. Mm. This time we know what we're doing. We know right. what we're fishing for. Right. So he says, "Well, they offered me eight hundred thousand dollars to l- make sure this guy doesn't go to jail," and I said no. And then a few minutes later, and a several drinks later, he said, "You know, then they offered me a million too to make sure this guy doesn't go to jail." Mm-hmm. And then finally, they brought me a Panamanian bank account, numbered account passbook with two million dollars in it and i said yes
0: and he just says this to you
1: over dinner drunk i wonder
0: what makes person okay so he was about to figure you know you, you guys are movie guys so you know we're all in this together or well something. exactly what? we're all criminals we're a bunch of criminals you That's know you guys right. are movie producers nice, so you uh, can't be on you police. can't you can't get on your high horse right no yeah.
1: there is no horse <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now so you
0: you discover how what a a corrupt d- d- cesspool d- d- Miami politics and and the criminal justice system. We have
1: is. another complication, and that is Oliver is in the midst of a very intense cocaine addiction oh, at okay. this time. All right, and he's writing, and I love Oliver, and we've been friends for years. We are friends for years. Yeah, and I've known him when he you know couldn't get arrested and was writing his first script, and when I couldn't get a job, and we you know yeah. We used to hang out. We, knew t- we both knew an agent. She had a job. She would buy us dinner by making dinner at her house. That's how we ate. Right. You know, I mean, it's Hollywood. You yeah, know, you've sure. got it takes a process to get in. Yeah. So, Oliver decides that the best way for t- him to shake this addiction and to finish the script is to go to Paris. I agreed with that. Hanging in L.A. was not
0: healthy for O-Stone.
1: You okay, know. so he goes to so Paris
0: to get away from all of his friends who have drugs and
1: right. whatever. Right, and he writes the script, and he does a great job. Right. And the script comes in, and it's not a, there's not a lot to do because it's terrific. De Palma makes his contribution. Bergman has his comments. Everybody has comments. We get past that, and we start to budget the movie, and the movie's now costing in those days $25 million. Now, that doesn't sound like much money today right when we're throwing billions around you mm-hmm. know when you have to when oh yeah you know when the maker of our producer Pat's Tesla yes. is worth multiple
0: billions of dollars many billions of dollars my, my my first thought came to my mind was Sidney Lumet would have been a terrible choice to direct this picture yeah I agree with that and so I, I love mean, Sidney and I he's a way too sort of socially conscious he'd be trying to put a lesson into things he's a big liberal This needed somebody who's a meat and potatoes, you know, blood and guts kind of guy. And Palma was the right guy for this picture.
1: Say hello to my little friend, Brian. Yeah. So that's all I can say. Yeah, exactly. Brian was exactly the right guy to direct this picture. We had a lot of heat. Part of the heat we had was at the studio. I was getting killed. I was on the board of the Mexican-American Legal Defense Fund. Okay. Among other things. Because, as you know, I am the last of the limousine liberals. Oh, I know you are, yes. Yeah. So a yeah, card. Yeah, I have you're a card proud that says limousine
0: liberal. Proud. Ah, out of it. Yeah.
1: So now I have Al Pacino, Mr. Italy, playing a Cuban in a movie that's all about issues that are very, very dear to the Gusano community in Miami. Mm-hmm. And not to mention— You're about f- to do
0: the worst portrayal of a Cuban— ever presented in a in a major motion picture.
1: That's what the Florida Tourist Board told me. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, uh,
0: so your problem is a little bit like what happened with The Godfather, which oh yeah. is the the Italians all went, what, what the hell?
1: I know. I know. All right, go ahead. Go so ahead. we decided in our wisdom we're going forward. Yeah. Fuck them. Yeah. You know, it is after all theater. Sure. The nature of that yeah. means people can transform. It's transformative. Right. So we put together, Bregman does a great job, by the way, of pushing for really good people. And, um, oh, I want to throw one thing in here for our producer, Pat, and that is uh, I don't know if he knows that Brian De Palma and Jay Cox, the movie critic, uh, co-wrote and rewrote the entire crawl for the first Star Wars movie. Ah. So I just throw that in because these guys were part of a team. The right. point here is Spielberg, Lucas, De Palma, yeah. Marty Scorsese, yeah. a few other directors. There was a gang yeah. of young directors out of film schools like USC and UCLA yeah. who were taking over Hollywood. It yeah. was the 70s, and yeah. they were all part of that For So the movement. middle
0: of the 70s, all these people are emerging, yeah. early middle of 70s. So
1: we end up with Giorgio Moroder doing oh, yeah. the score, which is a great idea, I think, yeah. because not only does he understand what hip-hop is, which was a brand-new idea out there in the right. world, he also works with synthesizers. He's also sure. a capable of doing astonishing music. And Johnny Alonzo comes in to shoot it I remind you that Johnny Alonzo shot Chinatown.
0: Ah, so you've in got that? some big people.
1: got people who know what they're doing. Marauder is...
0: is, is Mar- I, forgive me if I, I just don't know everything. I almost know everything, but not I everything. I thought you, knew Giorgio Moroder, isn't he the spaghetti western guy, or is that a different person? Who's Giorgio Moroder? I think.
1: Well, you're thinking probably of Ennio Morricone.
0: That's who I'm thinking of. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. All right. Okay. Then that's. You now you see how my mind works. Well, Giorgio Moroder did what? What was? What would but be? They're s- both
1: Italian. This that's is close good. enough. That's yeah, close so enough. Exactly. Okay. So we have, and Marauder did actually win an Academy Award for a score, but I can't remember the life of me. Pat, do you know what the picture was that Marauder won an Academy Award for before he did Scarface?
0: Uh, I'm on it. <laughs> I'm on He's it. He's on it.
1: it. He's on it. Okay, well, all's right with the world. Okay, so, so anyway, I'm
0: not, enough with me trying to guess who George Jerry Murielder. Greenberg's the
1: editor. He's a terrific yes, editor. Yes, I did who that French is. French Connection. He did yeah. Apocalypse Now, yeah.
0: which sure. is a brilliant editing
1: job and a tough one. Yeah. Um, so, we start to make the movie. We're shooting pieces. The movie is, shall we say, a little violent. Yes. I anticipate at this moment that I might have a bit of a squeaky wicket, sticky wicket, with yeah. the ratings board. The Motion Picture Association of America has a ratings board. Right. The problem in those days is the worst thing that could happen to you for a rating is that you get an X. Yes. Yes. What an X meant was either the film is literal pornography Mm -hmm. or they have deemed its content to be so repugnant to the national escutcheon Mm -hmm. that they're not going to release the damn thing. And the way they kill the release is no newspaper. Or television channel in America will take
0: advertising for an X-rated picture. That's exactly right. So
1: you can't tell anybody you've got one. You can show it. So how
0: did that happen? I'm I'm way off. I'm I'm all over the place today. So how did it happen? With um, (laughs) um, wait, guys. Yes,
1: Giorgio Moroder won uh, Academy Award for Midnight Express. Midnight Midnight Express. Express,
0: There you go. (laughs) Midnight Express. That's it. Fantastic. Fantastic.
1: Pat, thank you. Um,
0: Mm -hmm. So how did how did uh, Midnight Cowboy get released if it was got an X? How did that happen? At that
1: same moment in history that Midnight Cowboy comes out with an X, uh, behind the green door and Deep Throat are both coming out with X's. Right. And they create such a cultural firestone, such water cooler talk, such you know,
0: rumor and innuendo that people show up to see them. Isn't it funny there was a moment in time where those movies you had to go see those movies. Yes. Like 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 now it'd be like there would be there'd be a lot of shame involved in it. And oh, like, yeah. oh how could you possibly But when I was in college, we went to see Behind the Green Door.
1: Well, Jackie Kennedy went to Deep Throat
0: on Times yeah. Square. There you go. So I mean it's it's it was a different world. It carry was a carry different on different world and Scarface.
1: So now the dailies are coming in and they're, shall we say, violent and the language is a little rough in fact. The word fuck in that movie is used 126 times. Really? Just to let you know. Wow. That's in the released version. We took out another 418 <laughs> times before we got to
0: that. And so he leans on that word in that movie. I he, also, It's like, you know...
1: There's also another thing here. The original film of Scarface, the mm-hmm. Hawks, Howard Hawks picture. Right. This film is dedicated to Howard Hawks and Ben Hecht. Ben Hecht wrote the sure, original. Sure, yeah. De Palma understood that he needed to nod to the forefathers of the gangster genre. Right. And in its day, the original Howard Hawks movie was wild. It was violent. It was tough. People mm-hmm. shot each other. Yeah. Gunfire, mayhem, yeah. rough language for the day. Yeah. And so this was... That's in also some a pre-code way. film. That's right. It was a pre-code film. And this was an extension of that kind of sensibility. Yeah. Right. So... We go to New York. We premiere the thing on December first, nineteen eighty-three. We shot it in eighty-two, mostly, and a little bit. Wait, of wait,
0: wait! You, I'm I'm sorry to do this to you, but yeah. I got to know that big mansion. I mean, you're, you, 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 that he shoots up that the whole place. Sosa's is, empire. Right. Yeah, he. he uh, it's just the coolest place. Just the greatest place. Where yeah. is that exactly?
1: Well, deep in the jungles of Columbia or on a street right down from Oprah's house in Montecito, California, oh. which is where we shot
0: it. I can see that being a, a Montecito mansion now yeah. that I think about it.
1: Yeah, with some additional greens to so, make it look so a I more that,
0: So I assume that everything, that, that final scene where he's, you know, say hello to my little friend and mm. everything's getting shot up and blown up and everything, mm. that's some sort of studio situation. That's a stage, yeah. That's a stage, hey, that must have been a wild universal. stage to be a part of
1: yes, that was the whole thing was wild, I'll bet so now we have a cut of the movie before we can get to that date on December first and actually release this to the public. I have to get a rating that is not an x
0: yeah, so is it a bunch it, of is it a bunch of different scenes that are of the problem? Is it the uh, final scene is it the
1: it's Think of this as an Italian wedding cake. This is, this is so many layers of problem you can't imagine. No. It took me maybe three or four months of constant negotiation. So here's the way we did it. Uh, Di- and Brian De Palma understood that we had a huge problem, and he made some compromises. We took out the 415 extra fucks. We left in yeah. 126. Right. We then pulled something that bordered on nudity back a little bit. Then we tried to – listen – this all came, this all, we went to hell in a handbasket with the shower scene when we
0: start up that
1: Oh, home-like uh, chainsaw. Uh, uh, chainsaw, uh, yes. yes. Yeah, that's and a
0: horrifying scene. That
1: is a horrifying scene. And the one you see represents about one quarter of the scene we originally presented to the ratings oh board. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no wonder they fainted. Yeah. So... Now we're getting tagged for violence, for vulgarity, for all kinds of stuff. And Even
0: just the way he talks to Michelle Pfeiffer's character in it yeah. is just so horrible. Yes. By the way, she's fantastic. Who, who would have thought to, uh, to cast her? How did, uh, I would yeah. have thought that, uh, she, you know, when I first heard she uh, she was in it, I was like, that's a strange choice. Yeah, she but it does. A, it isn't when you watch the movie. No, no, it's no, a she's a fantastic great in choice. It, and
1: it breaks her career out, and she's great in it. Yeah. But was she
0: a first choice for this? No, the
1: director and the producer didn't want her, really? but finally, um, uh, Bregman came around, and then eventually De Palma came around,
0: and then. Well, well, who would have been? Who would have been somebody they would have thought? Well, we, we, somebody, we talked to a number. Somebody less up, probably. We, t- we yeah. talked
1: to Sharon Stone. You oh know, well, we that that's but that's in the same we vein. We talked to Sigourney Weaver. Oh, okay. we talked to a bunch of actresses who were hot at that time.
0: Yeah. Uh, I yeah. can't imagine it without her. She's, um,
1: she's great in it. Yeah. And part of the reason she's great in it is, is she is icy cold.
0: She's icy cold. And she carries the aura of cocaine addiction. Yeah, she seems, she's so convincingly high. So I asked Oliver
1: it. once what happened to her after the movie's over, and he said it's easy. She remained a cocaine addict for another 10 years, ended up somewhere in a whorehouse, and committed suicide.
0: That's what hap- would have happened to the real mm-hmm. character. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do, do directors and, and writers, do they have that? Oh, in other yeah. ways, like, the, that's the end of this, but in my mind...
1: no, yeah, almost always.
0: 20 years from now, they almost are this. Almost always. Is you want right? to know. You want to know where people are going to go because no, I, you need the character. I, 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 I talked to a writer once, and he <laughs> says, if you don't know what brand of cigarette, because this, this is you know, back when people smoked, if you don't huh. want, know what brand of cigarette your character is, smokes, you don't know the character well enough. And yeah. I always thought that was kind of an interesting point. Yeah. Anyway, continue.
1: So, now, I want to convert this process we're in a little bit and talk about data.
0: I know that's a very exciting subject. I love data. You mean the data on the movie.
1: Yeah, I just want to talk to you about data.
0: Yeah, okay. So, we
1: finally get to open the damn thing. Right. We open in 900 plus or
0: minus theaters. Which is a big opening big enough you know and also this is weird too and i'm sorry to keep stopping you but that's i right. love this movie so all much you this is a christmas movie <laughs> damn right this you know I, I went back and looked at it and i thought this came out on december 9th 1983 that's right who thought that this would be a good christmas movie this is not a christmas
1: movie well whoever the idiot was who was, <laughs> it was right president the of Universal Worldwide. <laughs> so you thought that it was person, a Christmas movie. I
0: thought it was a Christmas I Is, it was is a that gift. what they call counter-programming?
1: I guess it qualifies. That sounds like a reasonably convenient excuse. Yeah, it just happened I, to be when the I movie was no done by. good idea. Right. The movie was done. It was an expensive movie. We needed to get it out. I had a lot of naysayers in my distribution company who thought it was too wild and rough and awful yeah. and people wouldn't like it. There was no sense that it would blow up which it did and take off thank god let me just say that picture did in its first release in the u.s 45 to 50 million dollars right in there and international because we released it day and date worldwide Mm -hmm. picked up another 65 million dollars so by the time the first few weeks of release were over we were north of 100 million dollars that was gigantic in those days was gigantic. In
0: yeah, space. that's that's huge. Um, so, we like so very smart, smart move on that. that president of Universal's part.
1: Well, whoever, if we
0: can find him, <laughs> I think that would be. <laughs> so, let me also oh, say. The, oh wait, wait, me before you. I, I, I'm sorry because I'm obsessed yeah. about this movie. Steven, Steven Bauer. In <laughs> oh, Rocky. Movie. Rocky Bauer. He's, what a great he, guy. He plays the greatest Neanderthal I've yes. ever seen. Yes. And and that scene for when they're getting off the boat and he's yes. hitting on women just oh, right yeah. and left. And, yeah. and if they don't go with him, he calls them lesbians. and uh, yeah. That makes me shriek. He is so fantastic in he this. He is
1: fantastically awful. He is he's, just he's a really, terrible
0: yeah. human being and you can't yeah. get enough of him. Yeah. All right. Anyway, I've said my piece. Go ahead.
1: million DVD sales in the first release. 3.7 million. The DVD cost $78. Oh, my gosh. Hello.
0: That's real money.
1: Yeah, that's real money. In addition to the fact that it's a box office hit, it's a DVD monster.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the kind of thing you keep around and you watch it once a year because you love it. It's one of your favorite movies. Yeah, because I'm sure I've heard people say that that's the best movie.
1: Right right around Christmas time. Yeah, right. It's a Christmas. It's a
0: good Christmas. Yes, it's, Just, it's a lovely Christmas sentiment to watch well, Scarface actually, you know, with the family, with the whole yeah. family.
1: You yeah. kind of put on the Yule log and yeah. turn on Scarface. Put the, the
0: kids in front of the TV and watch Scarface. That's exactly right. Yeah. And by the way, I should also <laughs> yeah.
1: add that every time a new DVD format came out, like Pat's favorite format, Blu-ray, then we would pick up another $80 million yeah. dollars or $100 million. Well, well, mean, well the the industry
0: did go through that, right? It's the same way with the CD. Like you had yeah. to keep buying the White Album, and now, now yeah. it was the CD, and I was, was, had it on 8-track, uh, and there yeah. was <laughs> <a> cassette. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. you're so right.
1: The other way that movies are measured in their first weekend of performance is to see what they do every day mm-hmm. on the key days, and the key days are Friday and Saturday. Those are the key days. Mm -hmm. So what did the picture do? So a gigantic monster hit. If you could translate it in today's dollars and you released Gone with the Wind in 3,000 or 4,000 screens, then on those days, it would be doing 8,000 per screen average a Mm -hmm. day, maybe Mm -hmm. nine. Those numbers were stratospheric. We opened around 5,000 a day, which was massive. Yeah, It was great. And the good news about that is it got all the other exhibitors to fall in line. Right. We went from 900 theaters to thousands of theaters. And that was really important. I should say also that the movie became, of course, a cult classic. Yes. It's one of those movies where if people know you had anything to do with Scarface, they start quoting lines for sure, you.
0: Sure, that's right. You know. And so... That's th- you know, you've had that kind of impact a lot. We have a lot of movies like that under your well, belt.
1: Well, you always talk about the difference between naturalism yeah. in writing yeah. and movie writing. Yeah. And I'm on your side. Movie writing is very important, but movie writing is make my day.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I always say this to I, I had this conversation with, with uh, Quentin Tarantino. He used to come on The View in the early days anyway. Yeah. And I said, uh, you know, as, I'm, as somebody who has to pick clips... You know, you like it to pick a clip to run a you, these movies today you can't pick a clip. There's no good clip. There's no right. there's no good thirty seconds. Yeah. I said, but a Quentin Tarantino movie. There's oh, a good yeah. thirty seconds in there. Oh, because right. he's making old movies. That's I mean right. They right. maybe have a certain modern sensibility and they may be a little bigger and a little more violent and a little more whatever. But they have movie dialogue and movie scenes, you know, the beginning, middle, and end. And
1: bigger-than-life movie characters and all of that. And that's part of the fun of going to a big movie. I mean, I know you and I share a huge fondness for The Wild Bunch. Yes. The Wild Bunch is no more a Western than it is a movie about outer space. Yeah, that's right. It is a movie entirely about friendship, loyalty. question. And what you're willing to do. In the face of impossible odds. Yeah,
0: and in that movie, we'll stop, and William Holden will get off his horse, and he'll give a speech. Yeah,
1: no. You make a commitment
0: with to a a a man, you stick to it, and and, you know, and you you know, it's 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 full of things like that. You know, they they will stop by a campfire and give a speech, and you know, and it's just uh, it's uh, anyway. You're right. This is a real movie, movie.
1: So, I would say the following things to you. Say hello to my little friend. Sure. Repeated everywhere, shows up in hip-hop songs and rap songs to this day all over the place.
0: Here's what's funny. When I see the the movie now, um, and I saw it a few years ago, I think, no, it just shows you if a movie is good enough, it will... Transcend anybody going. I don't like Pacino's accent. I don't like. Uh, oh, I, I don't like uh, that he's playing a Puerto Rican and it's a mix, uh, or no, I mean, uh, Cuban and he makes Cubans look bad or whatever. If the movie's good enough, none of that matters, right? None of that matters. Yeah, it's That's only right. bad movies where that matters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and let's not go there. But I, I try to, as worldwide head of Rancho Mirage Media, I gotta say I try to avoid going anywhere that has to do with bad movies. Yeah, right. You know. Um so also uh the world is yours. The world there's is a, yours. There's yeah. There's a phrase that occurs in the beginning of the movie and in, at the end of the movie at the climax of the movie. In, I, that in
0: uh, that whole scene where they the, the also where they he's sitting there in, in in the restaurant. Yeah. And Michelle Pfeiffer is clearly stoned out of her mind. Yeah. And he starts talking about her polluted womb or whatever it is. Yeah. And it's just the roughest dialogue. It's Horrible. just like, "Oh my" Gosh, just awful. And you think, man, that's the kind of thing you don't see anymore. You don't see that sort of stuff in the movies anymore.
1: So the movie comes out and critics hate it. Big Is that right? You know, it's the, funny. I
0: don't remember that. Big, critics.
1: important critics hate it. Leonard Maltin, one really? of the most important critics in America, television critic. Right, all, sure, yeah. You know, blah, blah, hates the damn movie. He says, wallows in excess and unpleasantness. Oh. Okay, Wallowing. Guilty of wallowed
0: in unpleasantness.
1: I give up, officer. We're guilty of wallowing. (laughs) So let me read something to you, though, because I want to get this right. Because David Anson, who's a friend of mine, a great writer, great critic, said the following about the movie. We got his review in Newsweek. It was one of the best we ever got. He said, among other things, it's a grand, shallow, decadent entertainment which, like all good Hollywood gangster movies, delivers the punch and counterpunch of glamour and disgust.
0: Hmm. I like that. Good writing. That makes sense.
1: It's also what the movie is.
0: Yeah. Because you want to see that they have this big life, and then you want to see it all crumble around you
1: them. You want to get... Life gets even with them. Yeah, you know? that's
0: right. You want the big palace and the cars and the beautiful girl and then you want it all taken from
1: that's absolutely right (laughs) I never thought
0: about it until that this moment but that's exactly what you need isn't it
1: and by the way that's why the movie was such a huge hit in France yeah because France is the only country in the world where a guy stands on a street corner on the Champs-Élysées and he sees a Aston Martin convertible pull up handsome guy beautiful girl they're waiting at the light he looks at the car he looks at the girl he says, "God, somebody should take that all away from that son of a bitch." <laughs> That's France. Welcome <laughs> to France. So this movie My,
0: I have, played it perfectly. Played perfectly in <laughs> Fran, France. So, you know, it's. Okay. I always. I, somebody once told me that if, uh, says, "You know, you, whenever you were young and you, you talked about the Beatles and somebody like John, somebody like Paul." And somebody like George, but there was always one weird guy that thought Ringo was the best Beatle. Yes. He says that's France. <laughs> <laughs> France could is a, a full a full of people who think Ringo is the best Beatle, and that could
1: easily <laughs> easily be true. Yes. Okay. So then we go through the rating wars, and, and and we've gotten there. And now we have critics, and and many of them weren't good. A few of them, by the way, Roger Ebert was kind to us. Yeah. Um, and then. Kurt Vonnegut and John Irving, two really distinguished authors who I have a lot of respect for, walked out of the movie, hated it, were offended by the chainsaw scene so badly that they went public with their hatred of the film. Really? So we had in the New York Post Vonnegut and Irving saying... This is a Why are they show? making stuff Why like are this? they? What, Hollywood's, you know, blood. Kind of blood what blood.
0: happened after uh, um, um, I Spit on Your Grave and a few of those sorts of films where yeah. Ebert and a few others went and said, we've got to stop making these types of movies. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah But, it's, of course, this is obviously a much better movie than I Spit on well, Your Grave.
1: Yes, and here's the other thing. Many, many, many DEA agents have come to me, up to me. I've run into them over the years yeah. of making movies, and they all say it's our favorite film. Right. They all say, you have no idea. You didn't go far enough. Really? Miami in the days of the cocaine cowboy. And you know one of these guys. You know John Marcello. Yes, I do. And these guys, I got to say, what they endured trying to bring law and order to the cocaine cowboy movement, to the astonishing influx Mm -hmm. of drugs and the astonishing generation of cash. Yeah. And the, by the way... Nobody, when that started, cocaine wasn't even illegal in the U.S. It hadn't been listed in the right drug category. This, yet. Where
0: does this fall in the scheme of like Miami Vice? Where is that? Is this that same era of Follow, Miami Vice? Miami
1: vol- Vice follows. Follows it, but, right.
0: but like a year or two later. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's all it's and it's all tied up in this uh, this weird sort of. If there's a strange glamour to it though, isn't there? It's like Miami Vice had this sort of glamour thing to it. This yeah. m- movie has a certain glamour oh. thing to it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and, and here's what I, I don't understand. The, the Cuban uh, population of Miami embraces it or says this is the worst thing that's ever happened to us. Well,
1: here's what happens. Everybody over 50 hates it. Everybody under 50 loves it. Right. Cuban youth Totally on our side. Right. But if you go to uh, a restaurant like Versailles in Little Havana in the section of Miami, um, you still see, in those days, you would still see old men wearing a cardboard sign that said, I was minister of agriculture in the Batista administration. And everybody walking in the restaurant would give them 20 bucks. Oh. So the Gusano population, the older tribe, we yeah. were horrified by this. Right. They wanted the dignity of one of the Caribbean's most corrupt administrations. Well, yeah, you know, it's,
0: it reminds me a little bit of that, um, that story of, um, of Scorsese after he made Goodfellas and he went to his favorite restaurant up in the, 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 the Bronx or whatever with that Italian, mm-hmm. those, you know, Arthur Avenue or something, and they wouldn't let him in. Do you yeah. remember that? Oh, the, you yeah, you
1: yeah, know, I remember that story. Yeah. yeah of they said, you know
0: what? And it's he, and like, you know, they welcomed everybody from the Godfather. That was right. fine. But not good fellas, that's over the line.
1: So now I want to bring into this conversation about Scarface, uh, one of my favorite uh, miscreants across the world, Saddam Hussein. Uh-huh. So Saddam Hussein, as you probably observed, looted the treasury of his nation. Sure. Hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. taken out and laundered, and laundered with the help of a lot of drug dealers around the world. So when Saddam Hussein was finally nailed by our government and passed on, and we went through all of the the details of where he hid his money and what happened, it turned out that he had a holding company chartered in several neutral nations that wouldn't prosecute anyone. It was called Montana Management. Oh, wow. It was Saddam Hussein's favorite movie.
0: How come you didn't use that on the ad? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> two, two thumbs up, says Saddam Hussein. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think that would have been pushing a little bit.
1: I already had a lot of people in, in my distribution company who wanted to shoot me for yeah, making I'll this bet. movie, so, you know, what can you do?
0: I can see where that would have been for you a dangerous thing. Like you had to, you'd had to dance a little close to Listen, the edge to, put, to green light a picture like this.
1: Well, here's the thing. I got this job at Universal. I had no idea whether I was going to last a day or a year. Yeah. I had no expectations. I very quickly moved up to head of production in three years, and by four, year four, I was president of the company. I stayed president of the company for nine
0: years. Which, is which, by the way, is like a lifetime in your business. It's a lifetime. Because the average is what, two years, three two, years? Three years three is years. the average, yeah. yeah. Okay. So
1: I did three administrations effectively right. there. And right. then, I got to say... My attitude from the very beginning was make the things, I'm gonna make the things that I think are important, that I think will work, Mm -hmm. I'm gonna steer by my star, and I'm gonna get in a lot of trouble for doing this stuff because when I came to Universal, I was 23. And the average age of the Universal Senior Executive was 55. Right. So there was just a little bit of a spread there. And you know, I, they took one look at me, and one of the senior executives said, we have to have him investigated by the FBI, <laughs> which they did. And it turned out that I had been arrested for civil rights demonstration stuff in the 60s, yeah. but that was it. I Otherwise, I wasn't a notorious criminal. Right. And so if you're, gonna, if you're going to go down that road, mm-hmm. meaning try to have power in Hollywood and make your mark on something, right. you have to be prepared to die on that hill.
0: Yes. I don't know if you're gonna get to this or not, but I know Al Pacino sent you something because you've told me this before. Oh, well,
1: we're gonna get to that. Let's go to Al Pacino in just a second. Before okay. we do that, I okay. just wanna say there's also a very successful video game because there are all these spinoffs from There was that a Scarface moment. video game. There was a not there were remember. several, but okay. there was one called The World Is Yours. Oh okay. Which was Okay. A breakout video game and all right. that stuff. So let's go to Al Pacino making this movie. First of all, Al Pacino is one of the nicest, decent... Very pleasant man. Very good guy. Very yeah. good guy. And Sidney Lumet and I are friends, and so Al and Sidney are friends, and it's all made sense.
0: The th- funny thing with Pacino is that, like, I've only been around him a couple of times, but uh, he's very quiet man yes he's a very quiet you know low-key you know he plays these larger than life characters oh. he's this quiet little, quiet little man you know so
1: sydney talked to me about al before we did the movie and he said just remember that al will get completely immersed in this character yeah and that happens on every movie and just yeah respect respected just give him space he stays tell, in character tell your crew he stays in character leave him alone i've Let always him heard do his about stuff. that yeah and and in true it, it's true he became tony montana and he was tony montana yeah and so we're shooting in Montecito at the self-same mansion you mentioned yes. earlier. And I'm at home. It's about 5, 5.30 in the morning, and I get a call from my unit manager on the shoot. And he says, listen, we've got a problem. Mr. Pacino won't come out of his trailer. I said, okay. So has De Palma knocked on the door and asked him? He said, yeah, we just did that, and we get no answer. He won't talk to anybody. Okay. Okay. So remember, movies go by at hundreds of thousands of dollars a day. Right. That's the run race. It's like yeah. taking the world's most expensive taxi. Yeah, right. You know, you th- hit the flag, you get in the car, and boy, by the time that day is over, yeah. you have chalked up some cash.
0: So, so if he's killing an hour or something, there—that's that's d- $20,000, $30,000 that he's just thrown away.
1: So I get a helicopter and go to fucking Montecito. I'm living in Malibu. Okay. It only takes twenty minutes. takes an hour to get the helicopter, but once I get the chopper, I'm there. Right. Then I go to the trailer. I knock on the door. I say, "Al, it's Tom and the thing and stuff." No response. Yeah. So I wander around for a while. I tried calling Sydney, by the way, to get advice, <laughs> and he wasn't available. It's too bad. I think he was shooting somewhere. Yeah. In any event, I finally go back and I. Knock on the door, and I do my very worst Cuban accent. Yeah, and I say, Tony, Tony. <laughs> and after a little bit, a voice says, "Huh?" And I thought, I said, "Tony, it's Tom. Open the door. We got to talk about something." No idea what we got to talk about. Right. He opens the door. I go in. I sit down. Mr. Pacino, who is a genius in my mm-hmm. estimation, mm-hmm. genius actor. Mm-hmm. I say, what's the matter? He's still in accent. He says, Tom, I got the problem. Okay. Tell me what it is, we'll fix it. Said, Well, you know that place. Which place? Place you guys got me to live in. We got him a giant penthouse suite on a skyscraper because of the security things in the uh, Century City area of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm said, the walls of that apartment are stealing my energy. I said, okay, Tony. I got that. I understand that. I pick up the phone in his trailer, and I call the studio. I get my secretary, Seal. And I said, uh, Seal, uh, have a full crew uh, empty Mr. Pacino's today tonight call carol raff lease a house in malibu colony make sure there's a guard on it in addition to the gate and all the other malibu colony has good security yeah and i said tony you're never gonna have that happen to you again tonight you go home to a house on the beach he said great and i said yeah it's great problem solved. Thank you. You know, all these guys are waiting out here. Why don't we walk over here and see what Brian's doing? He said, okay, man, let's do that. So we walked to the set. Wow.
0: What a weird story that is. Mm. The walls were stealing his energy. Were they stealing Al Pacino's energy or were they stealing Tony Montana's energy? I think
1: Al was Tony Montana and was just in that space. He didn't like the apartment, this was the way it was expressed. It didn't matter to me whether the walls were stealing his energy or whether aliens were flying on the landing on the roof of the building.
0: Or he didn't like the elevator ride or he didn't, didn't like care the decor. About any it didn't make I any difference. Uh,
1: what I cared about Get was that Mr. Yeah. Pacino was protected in his process, Sure. whatever that was. Yeah. And by the way, was treated with dignity around that process. Yeah. I never thought it was funny when an actor was in character. Yeah. Never. Yeah. In fact, I thought it's a kind of a gift. It's just a huge gift when they can be in character that way. In any event, that was a rough movie for Al. Also, he was firing a machine gun a lot, as you remember, and it was firing blanks, and the barrel overheated, and then he managed to lean his arm against the barrel of the machine gun and had a huge burn on his arm, which in the middle of the show, we had to shut down for a few days to get it back to the point that he could work, and other bits and pieces. Uh, The show was very physical. There was a lot of gunfire, a lot of shooting, a lot of running and jumping and stunt work and right. things like that. And so it was not an easy show. Brian De Palma held up really well. The place he, Brian, lost me is when we were having the ratings battle, which meant the difference between releasing the picture or not, because I had been informed by Mr. Wasserman, the chairman of the company, if I could not get rid of the X rating, they gave us an X, yeah. couldn't get rid of the X rating, we would have to bury the picture, uh, which, by the way, would also include burying me, although he didn't, right, have, to right, that. He exactly. didn't have to say it. He didn't have to say out loud. It was, it was implied. implied, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so welcome to Hollywood, yeah, you know. Right. So then I'm getting to an R rating. I brought in Verna Fields to help. Jerry Greenberg's helping. We're cutting, slicing, and dicing. We finally get down to the shower scene. The shower scene's contracting slightly, slightly, slightly. We finally get to a moment when I can make a deal. And that day, I make a deal with the ratings board to give us an R. Ah. Reluctantly. On that same day, Brian De Palma said to the New York Times in an interview We're keeping the X. We don't care about the ratings board. We're going to release this as an X anyway. Ah. So that then... That didn't help. No. So that was a few days of (laughs) surus and conversation and this and that (laughs) and stuff. But however, it was released as an R-rated picture, first in New York, only on the 1st of December, and then on the 9th of December in 900 more screens around the country. We did New York first because we wanted to see if we could get some good reviews. I thought we might. I was disappointed in most of them, but we had a few like
0: that. I'm surprised that it didn't movie. review as well as I thought it was Yeah. I, I think it I think of it as a classic. You know, it's well, certainly it it that it that is era. a
1: bad It is a cult classic today. No question know. about it. You know. So what can I say? It aged well. So I give you three films. Yeah. Xanadu. Oh, I can't you know I to. Do mm-hmm. Going Berserk. I don't and know that. DC
0: Cab. DC Cab, I know.
1: Three films all
0: terrible, mm-hmm.
1: all failures, yeah. all lost a lot of money. Right. So if you're going to do that in your life. You and you be- did. Those are your and movies. Uh, I'd made, I gave a yes to each one of those Man. movies. God
0: bless We me. have to do an hour on Xanadu. Oh, no. Yes. And
1: we'll, we'll do, maybe we'll do that uh, in some format Ooh. that doesn't get distributed publicly. <laughs> no, no, people so, will
0: Because it's considered one of the worst movies ever made. And, then, and yet it's a big, glossy film.
1: It's a big glossy film with some big stars in it yeah. and and thank you Olivia Newton-John yeah. which I say every time I think of Xanadu because mm-hmm. without her brilliant soundtrack yeah I would have lost every dime
0: Yeah at least you made some money on the soundtrack We made a lot of money on the yeah. soundtrack Okay and we're going we're going to do that at some point cuz I right. love I love the story of a failure just as much as a success
1: Bill I consider that a threat <laughs>
0: Are we done here? Have you? Have I you, think we're done. Okay, Honestly. that's it for today. Remember, there are no shortcuts in this show business world, but there are many, many detours. This is Bill Getty with Tom Mountain advising you to take Fountain.